Welcome to the Senia Happy Hour Podcast with your host, Lori Bull. We know you're busy, so we bring you one hour's worth of content in under 30 minutes, leaving you time for a true happy hour. Hello, everyone. I'm Lori Bull, your host, and today I speak with Angeline Al and Dr. Sadie Hollins, the authors of Becoming a Totally Inclusive School, a Guide for Teachers and School Leaders, published by Routledge in November of 2022. Many of you know Angeline Al as she was a keynote speaker at our Senya Europe conference and a presenter at our virtual conference happening right now. And just a little plug, it's not too late to register for that as you're able to watch the videos for four months. So hey, why not register today? Anyway, (laughs) both Sadie and Angeline have extensive experience and knowledge in supporting inclusion, and today they share about their book and give suggestions for how everyone in a school setting can and should be empowered to be an inclusion advocate. They share about their inclusion continuum and how school leaders can use it to make necessary change. So, you know, Enough of me. Let's dive right in to becoming a totally inclusive school. And now, on to the show. Hello, Sadie and Angeline, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Lori. Thanks, Lori. Well, it's great to have you here. You have written a book. So first off, congratulations. It's a, it's a monumental task, and you've done it. So well done. <laughs> Thank you. And your your book is called Becoming a Totally Inclusive School, a guide for teachers and school leaders. What is it about and how did you start your project? Yeah, thanks so much for having us, Laurie. Um, so, I mean, the, the book overall is there as a resource for, for teachers and leaders to help their schools, their school communities to become more inclusive. You know, hopefully it does what it says on the tin. Um, but I think like it's an interesting uh, story how we come together. Like me and Angeline have, have never met, um, never met in person. And actually the first time we made contact with each other was as part of this project. So um, we were introduced by a, by a third party and we had the idea to try and create a book that would be useful for schools. And I never told Angeline this, but I, I think I thought coming into the meeting, oh, I, I'd like to create a resource that might help like PSHE, you know, for international schools in different contexts and make it more inclusive. And so I was coming very much with that angle. Um, but I think like, it's really cool what we've created and, and Angeline will share more about where the idea came from for the structure of the book and, and the, um, the material in it. Um, but yeah, we used to meet every Sunday or nearly every Sunday for for quite a while, maybe nearly a year. <laughs> and um, yeah, nearly two years later, um, the book is is here. Yeah, it's it's been a, an absolute um, joy actually to to meet Sadie. Um, I I sometimes wake up on a Sunday now and think, oh oh, I'm missing something because <laughs> because um, <laughs> the book process writing is over and and yeah, but uh, the book really came off a, a series of. Um, presentations that I've been doing with schools. So I have what's called a DEIJ advocacy course that I um, have like a six um, session series that I developed and was working with different institutions in international schools. And um, yeah, and so when thinking about, you know, when you want to move forward in this area,
area, if it, even if it's in a, one specific subject area, because that's your domain of teaching, you really need um, a whole school approach. And so thinking about that and thinking about all of the different elements that you need in order for you to have the infrastructure support that you need or the mindsets and behaviors that uh, you would love your colleagues to also have to help move this work forward. And so the book really started with um, thinking about the broad picture and, and supporting you know, everyone in your school um, to be able to move forward together. Great. I love, I love that you've never met in person. That is just wild, but it's so exciting that you've done this. Congrats. So the book is in three sections. Tell us some more about how these three sections came about and how they relate to each other, please. Yeah, sure. I mean, this definitely builds off the back of um, what Andrew was saying about the the workshops, but um, they became a real central pillar around what we organized the rest of the book. Um, so we've got... Um, the first section is about you. It's got four chapters in it. So it's looking at inclusion from, um, I guess, an individual perspective in terms of individual learnings around, you know, implicit bias, stereotypes, prejudice, intersectionality, um, and helping at an individual level to understand what those terms mean and how they might, how you can see them in practice or how you can notice these things in practice. So um, that was the, the first section. And then it moves towards... Uh, the us section so going from the ind individual to more relational um and within this this section we've got things like safeguarding and well-being and language so the kind of spaces between us and how they impact on and um contribute to a more inclusive school and then finally is the institution so the third section is the real practical chapter I hope there's like uh, practical parts throughout but Angeline will speak more to this but the last section is um, has the total inclusivity continuum um, which is such a useful resource um, you know I, I say this <laughs> I was just saying Angeline's developed and it's, it's this incredible resource um, and it's those systems and structures that the broader level like what can we do to make our schools more inclusive because each of these elements are not working in isolation they're working together at the same time and they need to be working in the same direction so they're, they're the different sections and they are like kind of how books build, builds on each other throughout that's that sounds amazing i love the progression from me to we really um to that overall leadership um you know, basic, what are the ideals of the school and, and how that can they bring it together? That continuum, I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but I'm really excited about that. Really excited about that. And I know every individual who buys your book is is excited about it as well. There was a lot of chatter about it during our um, conference this weekend. So lots of excitement surrounding that. So Chapter one situates schools as communities where well-being is fostered and identities are safeguarded and free to be explored. There's also a chapter focused on well-being and another on safeguarding. So what are the intersections between well-being, safeguarding, and total inclusivity? Um, yeah, no, it's a, a really good question. I think like the what we were thinking um, 
is, you know, well-being is the broader umbrella, right? But safeguarding sits underneath. You can't be well if you're not if you're not safe. Um, but we felt like safeguarding for, for many years is kind of focused on the prevention of harm. And, you know, there's been a lot of great work done in that area, but it has focused primarily on that and primarily focused on um, safeguarding of, of students. So uh, what we've tried to do firstly in the safeguarding chapter, which then leads to the wellbeing chapter, is to get uh, is to encourage people to move beyond thinking about the prevention of harm to how we create a safe environment for everyone and, and an equitable environment. Um, so like within this, we've got, you know, um, a model talking about the four layers of a safe school. So we're having four circles going, moving outwards, having students, and then you've got uh, staff, you know, leaders, and then you've got kind of the structures that come um, around the outside it and a, and a caring environment. And um, we talk about how these circles are not just kind of fixed and in place. They push and they move on each other to create space. Um, so they have to all work together to create that safe environment. Um, so like, I think that's, that's where we thought um, what's important is people only feel safe if they belong, right? And I think you can talk about this on a conceptual level, but you know, if I think about my, my personal experience, I'm a queer educator. And when I was at school, like I chose not to come out because I didn't feel safe. And maybe there are things that there are things that we're I think hopefully more attuned to now. But I think it's also important to think about um, not what makes people safe, but what makes people feel unsafe. And sometimes that requires a lot of listening because it might be things that we don't even realize. So one of the examples I, I talk about, or we talk about in the book, is is a student that I worked with um, who was talking about whether or not they should include their photo on their CV. And they are Thai European and they were saying they don't like to dis disclose their Thai nationality because um, often what they experience is jokes off the back of that, insinuating that they are um, katoys, which is another word for ladyboys in Thailand. And so like there's stuff like that that I didn't know and it just came out of a really... Um, just, just a, a random conversation that we were having one day about, you know, applying to jobs. And I think that there's more listening that needs to be done um, to better understand what it is that makes people feel unsafe because there's a lot of things that we don't always fully um, fully appreciate and fully understand. And then I guess off the, off the back of that, we go on to a well-being chapter and um, we borrow a lot from Helen Street's idea that uh, well-being is contextual and well-being is much more than just what we think of it on an individual level. Um, well-being is connected to the spaces we have between us and we are only as safe as the environment that we create. So we've um, felt that that was a really important point to bring up is that uh, DEIJ work has to take into account both safeguarding and well-being um, at student and staff level. Yeah, thank you. Let's pop over to chapter four. It's titled Power, Positionality, and Dismantling Inequities. The, the current educational context is described. What is it about the existing system that you believe to be broken? And how can we begin to transform it for total inclusivity? 
Thanks, Laurie. And also thanks, Sadie, for sharing also this, the um, stories that are in our book too. I think, you know, the stories that uh, we've had the privilege of listening to either from students and colleagues and for educators around the globe really helped us to eliminate the different points we wanted to make in the in the book and throughout the different chapters. And, and yeah, in chapter four, it, it, we're really um, honing in on you know, how schools came about to be, and especially international schools, because that's really the context that we we both have um, experienced working in. And and at the time, um, you know, Sadie was uh, working in, in Chiang Mai and, and, you know, I've been in Berlin and also worked in the Asia Pacific region as a part of my international school career. And so really understanding the context of, of these schools, these schools that have really been elite in their construction, and uh, and also a part of the colonialism and the colonial um, state of of schooling as well, and so I think that um, it's really important for us to understand that. And so chapter four gives you like a, a really brief overview and insight into into that um, through the building off some more of the work that the Council of International Schools has shared, um, as well as the work of um, Conrad Hughes, who's written a book about elitism in schools. And um, and then so when you're thinking about the existing system, you know, it has served um, a certain group of people in, in chasing like what they what we understand to be successful. And that chasing of success has usually ended up in being able to go to a good university. <laughs> Right. And and being successfully entering into further education in some way that was seen as the 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 marker of success. And even now we, where you see schools posting, um, you know, results and, and also university admissions as a part of their successful branding of a school. And so I think that um, for us, if you want to be totally inclusive, we really have to value every identity that comes through our school doors. And, um, you know, for Sadie to share that she didn't feel comfortable, um, you know, being her authentic self in a school system, you know, that tells us that the school system is not successful as it is designed now, you know, and one story should make all the difference there. You know, we shouldn't have to look, um, <laughs> go to the stats or do more research in this to think about um, transforming what, what it is now. Yeah, because, yes, we are all part of a school system. So we don't like to hear that maybe we're part of something that's not doing like good um and 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 it's not to say that we need to throw everything out um but it's uh it's a call really to action to re-examine your own school and what are some possible inequitable structures that uh you have been complicit in upholding and taking responsibility for that because when you enter a school you're really inheriting it's um, written and unwritten rules and its culture and its context and its histories and it's her stories and and all of the things that have gone on within it. Um, so, to, for example, today I was working with, with a school um, based in Asia Pacific region and uh, and we, we were at this point where we we're kind of reimagining what school could be like for them and uh, and and one of them shared and and had the courage to voice and say well our pay structure is not equitable for uh, people who are hired locally as as opposed to the expatriates um, working in the school um, or and they also said you know and our cafeteria is on a different floor where you know like and and what if you know we need to build 
available to things that are accessible um, and in in a way. And so it was great to look at something that you did every day. You, you know, you walk up three flights of stairs, you go to the cafeteria every day, and think and don't may not think about it right and and uh, might not question it because that's the way it's always been but i think as we know when anyone anyone ever says oh well that's just the way it's always been that's probably the most dangerous phrase we could have right <laughs> in schooling in a system where we live in a society where things are changing so rapidly and so i think we really do need to think about how we can dismantle that um the power that we have as individuals in that process um and to have a comfortable relationship with power because i think a lot of people think oh power it's like being a and then they associate it with being a leader and then it kind of has a bad reputation um but we're trying to encourage through the book um to have power with people to make change rather than this um concept of power being something that we hold over people um and so that's also come from the work of um Jane Kais has written about this as well, and Barbara Watterson in, in their book, Step In, Step Out, that was quite influential for me, um, and uh, it opened my eyes to think about, okay, we can phrase it as power with others. And so we want people in this total inclusivity and you section to really thinking about your power, your the position you have, whether your role is um, as a teaching assistant or as a head of school, you know, we all have power to make change. <laughs> so much was said and so much important was just said between both you and Sadie and um I'm completely overwhelmed and and excited <laughs> about the work you're doing um you know at Senya we're an inclusive organization it's it's right there in our name um uh, Angeline and I discussed this at the past conference how you know, we are the Special Education Network and Inclusion Association. And so we have actually awarded a few schools, which we'll be announcing this spring, as inclusive leader schools. And the way we judged it was not just based on their inclusion of learners, you know, neurodiverse learners or learners with disabilities, but do they have gender neutral bathrooms do you know just we we took it through a, a full inclusive lens rather than just um, the area that we were always known for in the past so there's so much to inclusion and it sounds like it's really well covered in your book let me ask now a little bit more about that continuum angeline can you share more about that please sure yeah, thanks, Laurie. And also thank you for um, the opportunity to also share the continuum in the uh, virtual um, conference that just happened as well. So I, I, the session that I presented there was all about the continuum and um, and how schools can can use it. And and so I think one one of the things about you know being able to dismantle something is that you have to have a vision of what you think it's going to look like instead. And, um, and so the continuum offers a starting point for schools and educators to do that, because at one end of the continuum, it talks about a, a discriminatory school and an, and an exclusive school. And so 
what are the characteristics and what does that mean when your school falls under this category, right, in this stage of development? And on the other end, it talks about an inclusive school and what are the types of behaviors and mindsets that you might um, encounter if you walk into a school that is totally inclusive and what are the systems and structures that uh, you would find there um, in that. So I guess similar to the way you have, um, you know, defined success for the schools in in your association that are are these inclusive leader schools. You know, you've probably have worked out some criteria and to think that this is what we're going to see and to look for. And so the continuum offers that sort of um, those descriptors in six different growth stages. And I think it's what's good uh, about any sort of continuum is that, you know, you might see yourself in one of the stages and think, oh, because a lot of people will read that continuum and go, oh, yeah, stage three, this is us. Or stage four, this is, I think, where we might be. And then the, the, the beauty of that is then discussing it with your colleagues and thinking, well, if we want to move into stage four or stage five or to grow as a school, what, what's the work that we then need to do? Yeah, in order to do that. And, and so the continuum being a starting point for reflection and also a way for you to kind of radically dream your next steps and, and thinking about the interventions then that might need to be put into place so that you can grow those different mindsets that you want instead um, and that will help um, educators, your parents, your leaders, your governors, your students to move forward because the mindsets will drive the decision-making and the behaviors. And then also thinking about the infrastructure. So for example, you gave the example of um, having gender neutral bathrooms, right? So the policies, the practices, the, the, the kind of systems and structures that might help also move that forward. And because both of those things are going to shape the culture and the climate that mm -hmm. you then feel when you walk into a school as well. Whose role is it to shape that climate? Oh, well, I, for me, I feel like it's everybody in the school ecosystem. I think it goes all the way down to the caretaker and the way that they speak with children um, and the way they see their role as being valuable for the upkeep of the facilities in, in the school, all the way down to um, the, 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 you know, the accountant who's there, you know, cooking the books and, and making sure that people have what they need in order to um, successfully, you know, create a school facility and design and resources and pay the structure that, that needs to do that. So I, I really think Think that it's everybody and this is something that everyone needs to understand as well what do you think Sadie yeah no I, I mean I completely agree like it's it's everyone in that environment because everyone has a different role to play and, and inclusion like doesn't it doesn't look any different from it for anyone else but it might be different in the context that you're working with so an inclusive teacher you know it's going to be the practice is going to be different to like Anthony was saying to you know an accountant but it's but it is it's talking with people isn't it it's interacting with people it's valuing people so it's whatever role you are in the school it's modeling that um every which way so yeah I completely agree it's it's all the way through the school in every direction yes 
<laughs> I agree 100%. Um, what is the role of power? Well, you mentioned power and leadership. Um, we're talking about what is the role of power in teachers in the inclusion revolution? Can you share more about that? Sure. I think, um, you know, if, if we go with the belief that um, the most, the thing that's going to have the most impact on students are teachers. Yeah, so, um, you know, Robert Mazzano has done some research on that. Um, you know, if you look at um, Hattie's um, metadata analysis, um, you know, it's the teacher that has this, this huge impact of influence. And so, the, the what the what your because and and I think it's also will ring true on a really informal way like when like as a middle leader or as a leader in a school you know you can sort of try and help shape uh, where the directions you want teachers to plan in or to grow in and to develop but in the end the teacher shuts the door and makes decisions behind that door mm -hmm. as well and so I think that um, it's a really powerful position. And within each little classroom is also like a, a little microcosm of culture that happens, right? And so, and when you ask any, you know, grown up, any educator about what they remember about school, it will be how a teacher made them feel. And, and it, the memories that uh, were either really positive or not so good. <laughs> Right. And so I see that as the the ultimate power, you know, did 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 a teacher and usually when they talk about a good experience, they talk about that teacher believing in them um, and and helping them grow in their in their next steps um, and capabilities and in skills. And and so I think that's the power that teachers have, you know, when they really see each individual for who they are and are able to help them grow as as a, a holistic person um, to be successful. And so I feel like, you know, it's such a powerful position. That's that's really beautiful. <laughs> it really is. And I, I think every teacher needs to hear that message. You know, I mean. I was a teacher for 25 years. I, I, I don't think that as a teacher, I ever heard such a thing. Um, I knew it in my heart, but you're never, that's not where you think the position of power comes from, right? In a school. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. And Amazing. I always say like as a middle leader in a school, like I'm, I coordinate the curriculum. My job is to just to really to just provide what teachers need and to help them with whatever yeah. it is they need so that they can do their job better in the classroom. Yeah. Well, I think you've just empowered a, a very large group of people just by those words alone. And with your book, of course, the book, the book is everything right now. Um, I, so for listeners who are just tuning in and don't happen to know about our virtual conference that just happened, Angeline was there as a speaker. And I have seen so many pictures of people with their book or that they've just ordered the book and they're they're tweeting and they're saying, I got I just ordered. I can't wait to read it. So um you are making you and Sadie are making waves in the international world in the international school world um and it's time and it's exciting and i just thank you thank you for putting it together for taking those every sunday uh for a year 
and working on this um, for all of us. You're welcome, Laurie. It's really great just to see the community get behind it as well and um and to share share the love and and to spread the word. Yeah. Well, Sadie and Angeline, I think that's all we have time for today. So thank you again for being here. <laughs> Thanks so much, Laurie, for inviting thank us. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's show. For more information, including how to subscribe and show notes, please head to our website. That's senyainternational.org slash podcasts. Until next time, cheers. <laughs>